Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have, I have, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Each fall, we try to take some time to consider our mission statement, what defines us and our purpose at Rockwell Presbyterian Church. And this fall, we're taking six weeks to consider that mission statement, which is that we... Uh, at Rockwell Prez, we believe that we're transformed by the cross, by growing in community, and thus uh, cultivating our hearts to love God and to love others. And we summarize or represent that mission statement by those three images, cross, community, and cultivate. And each week, uh, well, what we're doing is taking each of those images and spending two weeks on each image. The first week is from the teachings of Jesus. The second week is from the teachings of an epistle. And so where we're at in the series, this is week number one on community. And to consider community, we're looking at Jesus' teaching in John's Gospel, chapter 15, in which, as you probably noted as we read through, that he commands that we are to love one another just as he has loved us. Well, what are the implications of that statement, and how does that play out in the life of the church? To work through that, we're, just, we're going to try to understand a few basic things about Jesus' teaching. Number one is this notion of vines and branches. Jesus is adopting a very prevalent Old Testament symbol. And what does he mean by doing so? So vines and branches. Number two is how then to know a good branch from a bad branch. Which are you? We're going to try to distinguish between the two. And then three, we want to know how to be a good branch. And that's what we'll struggle with uh, at, as the third point this morning is, okay, we know the outcome of the bad branch is to be cut off and thrown into the fire. Well, if we want to avoid that fate, right? And don't think, sometimes people will read something like this and think, oh, well, God, Jesus is talking about those outside the church. No, Jesus is talking to the people of God. Those who claim to be God worshipers, who follow Yahweh, who are defined by Israel. And he's saying, some of you are going to be cut off and thrown in the fire. And some of you 
are going to be pruned because you're bearing good fruit. And you better know the difference between the two. Right? So let's start. What's this notion of vines and branches? At the beginning of verse 1, Jesus claims, I am the true vine. Now, uh, in John's gospel, and only in John's gospel, you get the seven I am statements. I am the shepherd of the sheep. I am the gate to the sheepfold. I am the water of life, so on and so forth. This is the seventh of seven, in which Jesus claims, I am the true vine. Now, more than any other symbol in the Old Testament to describe Israel is this image of the vine. It is the most prevalent symbol used to understand or to describe Israel. It's all over the Old Testament. A quick survey uh, would yield that in Hosea, Israel is called the luxurious vine or luxuriant vine. In Jeremiah, uh, it's a vine holy of pure seed. In uh, Psalm 80, it's a vine brought from Egypt and planted in the mountain of Israel. And in Ezekiel, it's a vine and a vineyard fruitful and full of branches. So on the one hand, you have this picture in the Old Testament that God has taken Israel out of Egypt, has planted it in the promised land, and is, cult- is cultivating it, is growing it, is tending it. He's the vine dresser. But you also get another image in the Old Testament, and this comes particularly when you get to a place like Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah, the prophet, has a couple of songs that are called the vineyard songs. And they're uh, comical, or they're comic if, they would be comical if they weren't so tragic. Because they start out uh, singing Uh, God has loved Israel. God has rescued Israel. He's planted it. He's the gardener. He tends the vine. He provides everything the vine needs. And then you get towards the end of the song, and it's harvest time, and the song says, but the vine has only yielded sour grapes. So God is going to take down the hedge that protects the vine and let all the wild animals eat the vine. And that's how the the vineyard songs end. It's a a judgment It's a declaration of God's uh, judgment on Israel's failure to bear the fruit that they were intended to bear. So when Jesus comes in, you know, and says, I am the true vine, right, to a a Jewish audience in the first century, that's claiming a whole lot, right? This isn't a a cloudy uh, metaphor that's hard to understand. Jesus is saying, A, I'm Israel. I'm assuming this role. And B, I'm suggesting that I will be successful where you have failed. Where you failed to bear fruit, and we're therefore judged, I'm going to bear fruit, and as a result, rescue this story and put it in the right direction. Now, as Jesus claims, I am the true vine, he also makes a claim for the Father, and this is the only I am statement where he actually makes an additional claim for God the Father. And if you look again at verse uh, 1, he says, my Father is the vine dresser, which means a vine dresser is the gardener of the vines. So God is the person who's ultimately responsible for the planting and the cultivating of the vines. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you a Netflix documentary on winemaking in which there was a, this old gnarled vine dresser. And what he said uh, as he's talking about making, making wine, he says, you have to be violent with the vines. You have to hack them back and hack them back and hack them back so their roots grow deep and get the best nutrients Uh, from the soil, and that produces the best fruit. Well, this is the picture of God as the vine dresser. He is responsible for taking care of the vine. Now, that means he's going to do one of two things, depending on what kind of branch you are. If you're a branch that isn't really producing fruit, you're not useful, and you're going to be cut off and cleared away from the vine to make room for branches that are fruit-bearing. Now, if you are bearing fruit, he's also going to prune you. 
You've got weaker branches coming out of you that aren't so useful. He's going to take those away so that the branches that are producing the best fruit will have the best uh, chance of thriving and producing even better fruit. Now, what's interesting to note is that whether you're being cleared off or whether you're being pruned, both tasks uh, require the knife. Both are painful processes. If you've signed up for Christianity because you think it's something that's going to help you avoid pain or protect you from pain, you've signed up uh, with the wrong religion. Right? Whether you are being pruned to bear more fruit or whether you are being cleared off, right? God is wielding the knife in both cases. And this, is, this is the image with which we begin. Right? What we're understanding, that Jesus has assumed the role of the vine. We are branches. Our survival is dependent upon growing in him. And God, as he tends the vine, pays attention to whether we're growing in the vine or not. And if we're not growing in the vine, there are repercussions to that. And so we need to understand better uh, what is the difference between a good branch and a bad branch? Well, obviously fruit bearing. But what does that really mean? What does that entail? So um, we can be thankful that we don't have to stop simply at the notion, or, and we actually would be really shorting ourselves if we stopped at the notion of just fruit bearing. Right? You might look at this passage and think, oh, well, I need to bear more fruit. So I have to be really intentional to go out from here and do a lot more so that I can say, this is all my fruit. I'm doing so well. Now, if that's what you walk away with today, you're going to be terribly defeated. You're, uh, you're going to lose hope as a result because you're, you're investing in what you can do. And the whole point of this passage is not primarily fruit bearing. The point of this passage primarily is abiding. Right? Fruit comes as a result of abiding. Abiding does not come as the result of fruit. And so the call, right, to, if you want to pursue being a good branch, it begins not with examining your fruit or not even, it doesn't even start with the question, how can I produce the best fruit? It starts with the question, am I abiding? And if I am failing to abide, in what ways am I failing to abide? We see this in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Only by abiding in Jesus is a branch able to produce any fruit. This is the, the exclusive way. Now you've got a beautiful claim here of, of mutual indwelling, right? The, the astonishingly and incredibly unique aspect of Christianity in which uh, Jesus says to us, abide in me and I will abide in you. Right? We exist in Christ and Christ exists in us, which is this remarkably gracious um, you know, you would not go to right, a squirrel and say, I would like to abide in you, squirrel. Squirrel, will you abide in me? Right? That notion is absurd to us, but the distance between us and a squirrel is a lot, lot shorter than the distance between us and God. And yet God in his grace and his love for creation right, is seeking to take us to a place where we're much closer to him and therefore invites us to dwell in him and, and offers to dwell in us. Now, that's a very beautiful picture, but that's not the point of the mutual indwelling, just that we would say, this is amazing, I'm going to celebrate it and sit here. Now, the whole point of the mutual indwelling is what? It's bearing fruit, right? Jesus is saying, listen, you have to abide in me, and I'm going to abide in you. And why? What difference is this going to make? Well, you're going to bear fruit if you are abiding in me, and I'm abiding in you. That's the whole point. So what is it to abide in Jesus? 
right? It, I mean, <laughs> as I was thinking about this this week, I was saying, you know, we every Christian should have a pretty good answer to that question. If Jesus is on the scene and saying, listen, your whole capacity as a disciple of mine exists in your ability to abide in me, we had better have a pretty good notion of what it means to abide in Jesus. Right? Be able to explain that and say, this is how I'm trying to abide in Jesus. So what does it mean to abide? Well, at, its, at face level, you know, at, at just at a semantic level, it means to, uh, to obey, to uphold, to cling to, to adhere to. Right? If I enter a legal document, uh, uh, a legal contract of some sort, I adhere to the terms of the agreement. Or if um, I make a promise and I don't like it later, I de- you might say he's adhered to the promise that he's made, even though he doesn't necessarily care uh, for that promise entirely. But um, you have to understand at the same time, there is a relational quality. Right? We're not simply talking about uh, uh, adherence to a code but there is this aspect of mutual indwelling. But, um, and as Jesus fleshes this out, he's really going to put it in terms of, are you willing to subject yourself to my commands or not? Right? That's what it means to, to adhere. When I was in uh, high school, I ran track, and there was one race that I was running, and I was boxed in, which means um, I was surrounded by runners and pressed against the inside of the track, uh, which is, the, of course, the field. And I couldn't move, right? It's not a place you want to be in. It, it was by accident that I found myself there, and I asked to be let out, which they didn't, they didn't care that I wanted to be let out. They were running their race. And so I, was, I wanted to go faster. I, it felt good, and things were going well. And so what I ended up doing was jumping up on the, the field right, to run on the straightaway and then jumped back down after I had gotten out of the box. And so after, And I knew... You weren't supposed to do that. But I didn't really know what the rule was. And so afterwards, the opposing coach had approached my coach and said, uh, you know, he took three steps on the infield. And that's the rule. If you, if you take two steps, you're okay. But if you take three steps, you're disqualified because you're not supposed to be running on the field. Because if you did that on a turn, right, this wasn't a turn, but you would shorten your distance uh, or have, you know, some kind of advantage. Now, they didn't, it didn't make any difference in the race. So they, it didn't get pressed at all, right? But what I had done was, you know, in that moment, I decided, well, I'm in a bad situation. I want to get out of this situation. And I choose not to adhere to the rules of the game. And it w- if it was pressed, I would have been disqualified. And it wouldn't have mattered how well I run because it wouldn't be recognized because I had failed to adhere. And this is the notion that Jesus is going to be bringing out, right? If you want to be a good fruit there, or a branch that bears good fruit, there has to be adherence Uh, to my commands, to what I am instructing you in. And of course, this is only possible as you abide in him and he abides in you. Fruit will only be born if that is your starting place. Now, you may have noticed, Jesus, there are two questions looming as we're making our way through this passage, right? We're talking about the difference between uh, good branches and bad branches. Good branches produce fruit. They produce fruit because they abide in Christ. But we might ask, what does this really look like, A? And B, how do you really do it? How do you abide? Now, Jesus is actually going to answer um, the how, what it looks like first before he t- talks about how. And in verses 7 and 8, he offers four characteristics of those who abide in Christ. So you want to know what does it look like? What's in it for people who abide in Christ? Number one, 
In verse 7, Jesus says that your prayers will be answered. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I love passages like that. And I hate them because they never work for me, because I ask for all kinds of things, and it doesn't actually happen, right? Jesus can't possibly mean literally, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you, right? Jesus asks for the cup of God's wrath to pass by him, and God says no. So if God, the Father, is willing to turn down Jesus, I think we should expect that we will at times be turned down. And all of us would recognize, right, we might be praying to win the billion-dollar jackpot in the lottery uh, this week, but that may not be, God may, not, may know that that's not particularly good for us. And so that might not be a yes. But what, I think what Jesus is intending to say here is if you are abiding in me and I'm abiding in you, your prayers are going to be particularly kingdom-minded. <clears throat> and as your prayers are particularly kingdom-minded, then you're going to see me very predisposed to uh, be favorable in acting on your prayers. This first characteristic of abiding Uh, being a branch that abides in Christ and bears fruit. Second, moving into verse 8, those who abide in Jesus glorify the Father. Right? Fulfillment and satisfaction will never be found in building your own kingdom. Only in participating in God's kingdom in which you are focused on the glory of the Father do you actually find fulfillment and satisfaction. And just as a reminder and what I was trying to communicate in the children's lesson, right, God commands us to seek his glory, not because he is really saying, gosh, I wish I had more glory. If only the people gathered at Rockwell Press would throw some glory toward me, I'd feel a lot better about myself. God commands us to seek his glory because that is the direction in which we should be heading to pursue holiness. So if I'm going through the day and I think, okay, what would it really mean to pursue God's glory? At three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, you know what? I think he would want me to pray. And so I'm going to pray right now. As a result of asking the question, what would glorify God? I find myself engaging holiness and pursuing obedience. To pursue God's glory is effectively to set the Christian compass. That's the second thing that is true of those who abide in Jesus. The third thing also in verse 8 is that branches that abide bear much fruit. Now, Please understand, I'm a little bit concerned that some of you, particularly people who are take charge, type A, I'm ordering my life, right? Your, um, your tendency when you walk out of church is not to think about or dwell on anything. You immediately say, I'm going to execute my plan to affect this reality. For those of you who are like that, right, pause. Right? We are not say, we're, in verse 8, it says that those who abide bear much fruit. So some of you, right, have the tendency, you're going to walk out of here today and say, oh, the whole key is bearing fruit. How do I bear more fruit? And you're going to come up with a plan to execute. Say, I'm going to get rid of sins X, Y, and Z that, are, that I'm addicted to or contaminated by or participating in all the time. And I'm going to try to do righteousness A, B, and C. And therefore, I will be bearing fruit. And therefore, I will demonstrate that I'm abiding in Jesus. Good luck with that. Okay, what the whole point of John 15 is to say, no, you start by abiding, and then the fruit comes. So if you walk out of here and simply start with the fruit, and then think you're going to manufacture some kind of abiding, it won't work. You need to actually uh, be dwelling upon what it means to abide in Jesus, what it means to truly uh, be quiet and obedient 
and adhere to him, um, not out of your own strength, but in pursuing his face and pursuing your relationship with him and pursuing that mutual indwelling. Um, And then fourth in verse eight is also um, what's true of branches that abide uh, are that they prove to be Jesus' disciples. Both to the world and to your own self, as you realize that you're abiding and fruit then as a result of that abiding, you are reminded of to whom you belong and you're reminded that he's committed to dwelling in you because that fruit wouldn't be produced otherwise. You got these four characteristics Right, they characterize those who abide in Christ. Now, I think that we often have a temptation to abide in different things. And just to help you think along those lines and perhaps to ask, what do I really abide in? Right, we might consider a little parable, which a Bible study is happening in a church. And a woman joins it for uh, the first time and is talking with the leader and, and asks, you know, is it true that Jesus has paid the debt for my sin? And the leader says, yes, uh, your debt has been paid. And the woman says, then I am forgiven? And the leader says, yes, you're forgiven of your sin as a result of Jesus' sacrifice. And she goes on to ask, then, uh, then why do I still suffer the effects of the fall? If atonement has really been done, then why do women still experience pain in childbirth? And why do men still work by the sweat of their bow? It seems to me that either Jesus' payment was not enough or that God is unjust and continues to punish us even though his payment was enough. Well, everybody was impressed. That's a pretty good question. So they began to think, but of course the theologian jumped in having an answer and he knew, saying, God is just. And asking if he is just is not only irrelevant, it's like asking if water is wet. And thinking he had concluded the matter, he fell silent. Shortly after, the righteous man thought he had something to offer. And so the righteous man said, suffering goes on because sin goes on. If you put your sin away from you, then you will uh, feel the, far less the effects of the fall. And he fell silent. And then a woman, a silent mother, a single mother who had, who had suffered much, decided to speak up. And she said, I don't know the answer to your question. And I'm not sure that every question has answers. But I will tell you this, that I would prefer to trust myself to the justice of the one who did not spare his own son. And I would rather wait on that justice with Jesus than without him. And the point of that parable is this. Only one of those people had fruit to offer. Because only one of those people was abiding in Jesus. The theologian abided in the thoughts of his mind, and the righteous person abides in the works of his hands. But that single mother abided in Christ and offered Christ in the midst of that question. And so truly, what are you abiding in? And what would you offer to others or invite others to taste? Would you be quick to judge their fruit and challenge them to produce more fruit? Would you first invite them instead to to cling to and move near to Jesus. And so before we move on, as a reminder, the branches that abide, they have their prayers heard and answered. They glorify the Father. They bear much fruit and they prove to be Jesus' disciples. Okay? So we know what it looks like to be a good branch, a healthy branch, a branch abiding in the vine. The last question is this. How do we do it? 
In verse 10, Jesus says the way to abide in him and in his love is to do what? To keep his commands. To seek to be obedient. Well, what is Jesus' command? In this passage, he would stress one in particular, both in verse 12 and verse 17. He's going to lay it down twice. But in verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. It's a pretty tall order. To love one another as he has loved us. Well, how has he loved us? He goes on to explain the characteristics of his love. Number one, he's laid down his life for his friends. Number two, even though he is master, he calls his disciples friends. Number three, he includes the disciples in his mission, allowing them to participate. And number four, he's intentionally chosen them. He's moved toward them rather than demanding that they move toward him. All of, this, uh, are, all of these are expressions of his love. Jesus has exhibited his own love and then invites us to replicate that love. Are you loving one another? Well, how would you know? Well, according to this, your love should look a lot like Jesus' love. And so if we just took the characteristics that we just identified about how Jesus has loved, we might ask, how, are we doing the same thing? In other words, we might ask, have I recently laid down my life for any of my friends? Right? You know, I'm not... Listen, I, I love it when people do things that are sweet and kind and encouraging. and That's great. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, what, lay down your life, right? You've worked four weeks straight without a day off, and you've got a Saturday coming up, and you suddenly realize a friend's in need, and all you want to do is sit and be quiet that Saturday, and you decide that you're going to lay down your life and go serve that friend. Right? This is the kind of love that we're talking about. When's the last time that you said, yes, in this act of love, I laid down my life because it required that much of me? Or, you know, are those below your social circle, people that you wouldn't usually hang out with, would you call them friends? Jesus is saying, I've come to, to rescue my enemies. And the enemies that I'm rescuing, that I'm making my disciples, I'm willing to call friend. Have you called any of your enemies friend, let alone have you treated any of them as friend? And do you invite people to participate in the mission that you have called to? Do you pursue others rather than waiting for them to pursue you? In other words, Jesus is saying, I have acted in love demonstrably toward you, not because of what you've done for me, but because of this is who I am. And so have you moved toward someone in love, not waiting for them to act in love toward you, but simply being willing to express this level of love toward them. Now, when we talk about love in this fashion, right, this is not something that we can accomplish on Sunday morning in worship service, right? In the 10 minutes that we'll fellowship after the worship service and walk out, you're not going to have very much time to lay down your life for someone, right? And this is why we have community groups. That twice a month, we would overlap in relationship in smaller circles and learn to know one another and call one another friends and learn the very opportunities that we might lay our lives down for one another. Right? This level of community to which we are called, this level of love being on display to which we are called, is not something that we can do without other areas in which our lives overlap outside of service. And we must, you know, even in doing community groups and going and even approaching those people who 
we might, you know, one of the unique things about the church is you find yourself hanging out with people you would never choose to hang out with outside of church. And do you realize that alone makes you like Jesus? Jesus just said, listen, all these people who are my enemies who I call disciples, not only do I call them disciples, and even though they're my servants, not, I don't call them servants, I call them friends. And then you end up in a community group and you say, I don't really like this person. But you know what? I'm going to call them friend because that's what Jesus did. And he's called me to mimic his love. And that is how you obey and abide. And out of trusting Jesus to work something in the midst of that, fruit is produced. Right? You didn't say, I'm just going to rush into this deep relationship with this person and all of a sudden I'm going to manufacture fruit. You start by simply saying, what does it mean to obey? Because if you are not loving one another, then you are not abiding in Christ. The passage is pretty clear on that. And if you are not abiding in Christ, then you are not producing good fruit. And if you are not producing good fruit, Jesus says that you're not good for much else than the fire. Lay down your life for someone else so that you may know the joy of abiding in Christ. Why do I say joy there? This is Jesus' desire for you and for me. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Are you sure on joy this morning? Well, perhaps you would find joy in abiding more. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious and we thank you that you invite us to give you glory, to participate in your glory. And Jesus, we praise you particularly this morning that you indwell us and invite us to indwell you. It is this mutual abiding that equips us uh, to be ready, uh, to be able to pursue holiness, to grow, to be branches that indeed produce fruit. And so we pray that you would meet us at this table this morning and that you would not only encourage us uh, by the act, the greatest act of your love, that you have indeed laid down your life for your friends, but that you would also nourish us and equip us that we may lay down our lives for our friends. Would you grow us up in our faith? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.